verses 1 through 5. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And here's verse 5. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Come on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful, we're thankful for this moment. Thank you for this time and space that we share together. And Lord, we know that everything you do is about intentionality. There's nothing that you do by happenstance. So Lord, the fact that we're here today, that means it was by design. It means that it was intentional, which means you have something that you want to say to us today. God, that there's something you want to do in us for whatever it is that you want to do through us. And so because of that truth, Lord, give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear what it is that you're speaking. And so, Lord, as your service in this space today, this is what we say. We say, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, come on, everybody said? Amen, amen. You may be seated. Family, I will never forget the day where I tore my Achilles tendon. It was not a fun day. I didn't like the fact that that happened. But I won't, and so for that reason and others, I won't forget that day. I was playing basketball and I was making a move around my opponent when all of a sudden he tripped me, or so I thought he tripped me. That was the moment when the tendon decided to pop. And it was that strong that it forced me down on the ground. So I get up and I walk to the sideline because I'm like, yo, this is a weird ankle sprain. Because in the moment, I didn't know that I tore my Achilles. And I wanted you to pay attention to what I said. I walked. So, yes, I tore my Achilles and I walked. So, you know, just a little moment to brag for a little bit. <laughs> but I got to the sideline. I'm, I'm doing all this. I'm like, well, I can move it. I'm not sure. And then it kind of settled in like, yeah, this is, this is the Achilles. I think this is what it is. So I call Katie. And I'm like, hey, I need you to come pick me up because it's my right foot so I can't drive. And I was like, hey, I wanted to be real calm. I didn't want to, you know, spaz her out, trip her out or whatever. So I was real calm. And I was like, yo, um, I'm injured. I need you to come pick me up. And I guess because I was calm, she was like, quit playing. I'm going to make some eat. What you want to eat? I'm like, I'm not hungry, but listen, I'm injured right now. I really do need you to come pick me up. And again, she's like, quit playing. And finally, she realized, like, I don't know if I put somebody else on the phone. Like, nah, he hurt for real. And so finally, she, you know, came, picked me up. We went to the ER. And the ER was like, yeah, let's take some x-rays. And yeah, it looks like it's, uh, you got a sprained ankle. Now, I knew. I'm like, this is not a sprained ankle. Like, I've done it before. I've sprained my ankle before. You do that playing sports, especially basketball quite often. I'm like, that's not what this is. So I called up my doctor the next day, came in. He did a simple test called the Thompson test. They squeeze the back of your calf. Your foot should move because the tendon is long and it's connected. Mine didn't. Uh, so I went and got an MRI that confirmed it, that I ruptured it. So I was like, cool. Next step, let's have surgery so it can be strong as before. So scheduled the surgery, went and had the surgery, and then they put me in uh, PT. And my PT, my physical therapy experience was, was interesting. I had, had two different um, trainers that I was working with, and they had two different personalities. I guess they decided to play the good cop, bad cop kind of role. 
And so one was like, hey, Mr. Hamilton, so good to see you today. It's going to be a great day. We're going to make a lot of progress. The other one was like, get yourself in here and let's get to work. I ain't got time to be playing with you. I was like, wow, okay, well, good to see you too. But whatever the case, I made progress. But anyway, after that first session, checking out uh, at the receptionist area, and the receptionist goes, um, all right, well, Mr. Hamilton, we'll see you on Thursday. And I'm like, right, for my next session. But um, let me go ahead and take care of this copay because I don't want it to stack up and then y'all send me an uh, invoice later. Let me take care of it one session at a time. Because, you know, when you do, uh, you know, doctor's appointments like that, the copay is like, what, typically a little bit higher, 40 bucks or something like that than the normal doctor's visit. So I'm like, let me take care of it now. And she goes, well, Mr. Hampton, no, it's, it's already covered. Like, have, have, you, have you checked your benefits? And I was like, really, it's already covered? Hmm, how many weeks they got me scheduled for? Go ahead, go ahead, a little bit two more weeks on there since it's already covered. You know what I'm saying? Make sure we good. Nate, I want to make sure we all the way good. So that question that she asked, that you check your benefits, that's a question to ponder on today. Because you can make the case that it makes, you know, maybe more sense to, it makes sense to turn down a higher paying job for a job that may not pay as much, but yet the benefits are better. Because you know those doctor's appointments and, and, and eye exams and dental work and all these other things can stack up very quickly. And so, yes, you may make more in the other job, but you lose it trying to make the difference in the benefits. But that question, too, when you think of it much past this sense, when you think of it in a spiritual sense, when you think of it in terms of being a follower of the way of Jesus, being a Christian, being, being, a, being a believer, it's, it's the realization, like, wait a minute, there are benefits that comes to following God. That there are benefits, there's a benefits package, if you will, that comes with being a follower of Christ. And I'm not talking about in a contractual standpoint. I'm not talking about from a standpoint of, well, because I follow you, I deserve this. Because I follow you, then you need to do this. But no, there's something that comes to submitting. We're submitting our lives to the lordship of Jesus. And so today, I want us to unpack Psalm 103. We're going to go through those benefits. And if you're taking notes, here's the question that I'm asking us this morning. Did you check your benefits? Did you check your benefits? In fact, if you want to follow along, you can download the TBC app, the Becoming Church app. Uh, it's available Apple and uh, Google and Google Play uh, as well. Uh, just download the app, and at the very bottom, uh, once you hit connect, it'll take you to the notes right there at the very top. But that's the question that I want to ask today. And before we get into that, I want to give a little bit of context to this text. So uh, the book of, of Psalms, all of them collectively, uh, they were written in five divisions. The first division deals with the foundation of covenant faithfulness. The second division outlines uh, with the hope of the messianic kingdom. The third division uh, details hope for the Messiah after exile. And then the fourth division dives into the God of Israel as the king of all creation. And then lastly, the fifth division are songs and poems of praise. Now, our text, Psalm 103, it's one of the four uh, psalms uh, that complete the fourth division of the book of Psalms, which, are, uh, which includes chapters 90 through 106. And so those last four Psalms, 103, 104, 105, and 106, they have everything to do with giving praise to the Lord. 
In fact, David, who's the writer of Psalm 103, he wrote it to express his gratitude to the Lord. And if you know a little bit about David and his story, his experiences and and the different highs and lows and, and moments that his life represented, you will understand that he is someone who understood the benefits of God by simply looking back at his life. And and ultimately, it led him to this place where he wrote this in Psalm 103, verse 1, where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Then he goes on to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And I don't know if you know this person. Do you know that person who... um, Maybe it's their birthday, and you're trying to figure out what to get them, but they have everything. Like, How do you get something for someone who already has everything? And maybe you're asking that question, too. David says, bless the Lord. How do you bless the Lord? How do you bless the creator of the world? How do you bless the creator of the universe? How do you bless the one who hung the stars, the moon, the sun, who separated the sea from dry land? How do you bless the Lord? Well, that phrase, bless the Lord, it means to delight his heart by expressing love and gratitude for all he is and for all he does. So blessing the Lord is this mindset that I'm going to express my gratitude towards him. I'm going to express my love towards him, one, for all he is. So it's simply the mindset that, Lord, I'm I'm praising you, I'm blessing you, I'm thanking you, I'm grateful towards you for who you are. So not even about what you do, what you've done, and what you will do, but first simply because of who you are. But then it's also an expression that I'm thanking you and I'm expressing my love and gratitude towards you because of all that you do. So in other words, we bless the Lord by expressing our gratitude and thankfulness. And it's in the simple things, family. It's in the morning and waking up of simply giving the Lord the first breath, giving the Lord that moment of thank you, Lord, for today. That, Father, this is the day in which you have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a mindset that says, I know I have needs. I I know there are things in front of me. I know there are questions. But before I get to any of that, and regardless of how you address those things, I'm first going to express gratitude and thankfulness towards you. It's like if you have a child that simply expresses love towards you and you haven't done anything for them, you know how awesome that makes you feel. Well, in the same way, the father is like, his his heart is delighted when we express thankfulness and gratitude. It's the mindset, Lord, I just simply thank you. I thank you for today. I thank you that I woke up in my right mind, like the saints of old would say, and with the activity of my limbs. Lord, thank you for this day. Is anybody thankful this morning? Is anybody thankful for the hand of God on their life? Is anybody thankful for his grace? Is anybody thankful that the Lord encountered your story and gave you a testimony of hope? It's expressing gratitude and thankfulness. Now, as humans, we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. And there's the spirit part of us that's closest to God. It's the part of us that longs to be like God the most. And then there's the soul part of us, which is the part of us that represents the humanity aspect of us, the humanity part of us. Think of your personality. And then there's our body, which is obviously the physical part of us. So we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. Now, David says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Well, the question may be, well, what is soul? Soul is your mind, it's your will, 
and it's your emotions. And so David is saying that my mind, my will, and my soul, everything that's within me, all of who I am will bless the Lord. But if we look closer, here's what David is showing us. Here's what David is illustrating. Here's what he's teaching us. David is teaching us, family, that we have to talk to our soul, that we have to speak to our soul, that we have to have these moments where we tell our soul, we tell our mind, our will, and our emotions that we will bless the Lord. And you say, why? Because there are times, family, when your soul doesn't want to bless the Lord. There are times when you are walking through difficult things, through difficult seasons, through pain, through hurt, through disappointment, and your soul wants to do everything else but bless the Lord. But David is not making any exemptions for us in any kind of circumstance. He's saying, no, tell your mind, your will, and your emotions to bless the Lord, to express your gratitude towards him, to express your thankfulness, your gratefulness. And, and, and maybe you say, I don't have anything to be grateful about. Listen, if you have breath in your lungs right now, there's a lot to be grateful about. That means that God is still working in your life. He's still moving in your life. He's still doing something in your life. Although you may not see it, know it, understand it, keep on trusting him following him, and every day getting up saying, Lord, I don't know what you have for me today, but I'm going to submit my life, my mind, my will, and emotions, and go on this journey with you. And he's going to bring you to a place. Following God is not knowing what all the steps are in front of you, but it's having the faith to put one foot in front of the other and begin to trust him and know that his word is a light to your path. It's a lamp to show you the way to go. But it starts from this place of speaking to yourself and saying, so you will bless the Lord. David goes on to say, and forget not all his benefits. And so today, this is not Pastor Michael. We're not having a conversation. Nope. You're having a conversation with your human resources representative also known as Michael today. And we're going to sit down and we're going to go line by line and we're going to go over your benefits just in case you hadn't checked them. Are y'all ready for that today? So let's get right to it. Your benefits, here's what I want you to know today. Your benefits include forgiveness. Your benefits include forgiveness. It says this in Psalm 103 verse 3. It says, who forgives all your iniquity? You know, some of us we live life on, on, a, on a spiritual roller coaster. And the reason why I say that is because we equate the forgiveness of man with the forgiveness of God. Man will forgive you in one moment and remind you in the next, right? Have you ever had a situation that you required uh, forgiveness, someone had to forgive you for whatever way, intentionally or unintentionally, that you may have brought a horn to them? And maybe six months, a year, however long, they, that you kind of move in a way that, that just ever so slightly resembles the way that you disappointed them or let them down. They go, see, I, I knew it was just going to be a matter of time before you let me down again. And so because oftentimes that that's how we tend to forgive people is that it's really I'm going to let it slide until I think you're going to do it again. And that's not what forgiveness is. But because that's the framework that we work with, 
we will take that approach and apply that to God. And so then when we find ourselves in this situation, some kind of situation, we uh, kind of imprison ourselves from what we've allowed ourselves to get into because we think that God operates around forgiveness in the same way that man does. Simply because man forgives you today but reminds you of your issues tomorrow, we say, well, God does the same thing. Because I told the Lord that if you got me out of this situation, that I wouldn't find myself in that situation. But yet, here I am again. And so now because I told him that, I know I can't talk to him. I know I can't go to him. I know I can't pray because he's going to point the finger at me and say, look at you. You've gotten right into that situation. And I thought the last time you said was the last time, but here we are again. But that's not how the Lord operates, family. But so many of us, we take that approach and we build this fence of shame and guilt. And we think the Lord helped us build it. But he's saying, I've never wanted to put you in a box of shame or guilt. I've only wanted to free you. And here's where I'm getting at. Look at Psalm 103, verse 10. He says this, talking about God, it says this. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Pause right there. Aren't you so thankful for that? That God does not deal with us according to our sins. That we don't get what we actually deserve. That instead of us getting what we deserve, instead of us paying the price for the, the, of, of the penalty for what sin requires, instead God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. And so the one Jesus who knew no sin, he became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. So already he's expressing the mercy of God where he chose not to give us what we actually deserve. Then he goes on to say, nor repay us according to our iniquity. So he doesn't say because you did that, I'm going to pay you back with the same. No, that's not what he does. Instead, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So great is his unwavering love is what that means. His consistent love, which that means, meaning he loves you on your worst day just like he did on your best day. Then he goes on to verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. So in other words, he's saying as far as the east is from the west, I've forgiven you. You are forgiven. And forgiveness is, is, is not this idea that I have to do all these things to finally get in the earned column. Like, okay, I've earned it now, so now I can get your forgiveness. No, forgiveness has been made available by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So it's not about what we can work for. It's, it points to his grace, which is something that is unmerited favor, something that we can't earn. And so he's saying that I remove your sins, your transgressions, as far as the east is from the west. And it's important that he use those words of east and west because If he said north and south, well, you can only go north so long before you eventually hit south. But the fact that he said from east to west, it's this infinite loop that just keeps on going, meaning we're living in a place of forgiveness. And so because of that truth, I want to ask or make this statement that we have to stop holding on to what God has already forgotten. He has cast those things into the sea of forgetfulness. But yet, we are living in a prison of shame. We're living in a prison of guilt. We're living in a prison of regret. 
And the Lord is looking at us and he's saying, why are you allowing something to imprison you that I've already freed you from? Don't equate my forgiveness with how man forgives. You can make your mistakes. You can have your issues. You can have your flaws. And I'm still there with the same love. That's why he says that his love is steadfast, meaning unwavering. It's consistent. It doesn't change. It's not a scene from a Disney movie. What is it, Little Mermaid, where she's sitting there? He loves me. He loves me not with the flowers. And I think some of us, we take that same approach with the Lord that today, well, I don't know. I was tripping last night. I'm in here the morning. I'm, here, I went to ch- I'm at church today, so he loved me today. That's not how it works, family. His love is steadfast and consistent. Now, with that, forgiveness doesn't mean that we just have a license to live in a way that doesn't honor and please God. That we just simply live and do and say and act and behave however we want to because we say, well, I'm forgiven. My sins are forgiven. No, forgiveness is there to point to God's grace. And what is grace? Grace is the empowerment to live a life pleasing to God. It's it's the ability to live in a way in and of ourselves that we can't because we know ourselves. We know who we are. We know how we want to respond. It's grace that gives us the ability that says, "Uh uh-uh, don't say that. No, 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 don't, don't, don't think about that. Hey, before you make that move, pray about that. Hey, remove yourself from that situation. Write that email. Don't put anybody in the two column and just sit on it for an hour and then come back to it. That's what grace does. It allows us to live a life pleasing to God and understanding forgiveness enables us to live the life that God desires us to live. So we need to understand that our benefits include forgiveness. Here's what else our benefits include. Your benefits include healing. Psalm 103 verse 3 says this. It goes on to say, who heals all your diseases. Understand this, family. God is able to heal every sickness and disease. But listen, while he's able to, he is not obligated to. And scripture And here's why it's not obligated to, because God is God. And so we have to allow God to be God. But in Scripture, we see both moments where there were those who prayed for someone to be healed, and it happened. And then there were times where the healing didn't come and how it was believed for. But you know what's true in both of those instances was the prayer and the approach. And and that is the place where God wants us to be. So he says, You don't worry about the outcome. I want you to approach me, though, from a place of prayer. I want you to believe in faith. I want you to come in faith. He wants us to pray. He wants us to fast. He wants us to believe for healing, but yet trusting him through the outcome. It's the statement I just made of saying, God, if God is God, I'm going to allow him to be God, whether that's bringing healing on this side of eternity or on the other side now. Because I don't want anybody to get it twisted. (laughs) Now, having said that, if you find yourself needing to pray for me or someone close to me or someone close to you, don't come saying, well, Lord, if it's your will, perhaps. I mean, you think you'll do it? No, no, no. I need you to pray the prayer of faith. I need you to stand like and remind God of what his word says, that by your stripes that we were healed, that healing is mine, that healing is available. So don't come with this if. I want you to come full of faith and believing God for healing, but trusting him with the outcome. Are you tracking with me this morning? Amen. 
But this verse is not just about physical healing. It's also pointing to spiritual healing because in Scripture, sickness is sometimes used as a picture of sin and healing as a picture of salvation. And so when he says that he wants to bring healing to us, that he heals all of our diseases, he is talking about sin, freeing us from the things that have distorted our life and bring us into the way that saves our lives. Because what sin does, sin distorts things. You think about even even the lie of the serpent to to Adam and and Eve, it was a distortion of the truth and what God had actually made available. And so this scripture is saying the Lord wants to free us from those things, free us from sin that brings distortion into our life. And look at Hebrews 12 verse 1. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I think it's important to pay attention to what it says when it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, there are things that may not be sin, but will trip you up. And so we have to say, Lord, what are even those habits? What are those things that I'm allowing myself to get into? What are those conversations that I'm having? What I'm like, nah, it's all good. It's a vibe. I ain't really trying to do nothing like that for it. It's all good. But what are those things that ultimately leads to those things that ultimately puts us in an entanglement. What are those things that so easily entangles us? The Lord is saying, I want to heal you from that. I want to lead you from a place of sin to a place of salvation. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Here's what else our benefits include. Your benefits include redemption. Psalm 103 verse 4 says this, who redeems your life from the pits. You know, I know summertime is kind of ending And maybe over the summer you had a family reunion or a company picnic or something like that. But typically at those uh, events, there's either the main parking or maybe it's overflow parking that is oftentimes in the field. And this summer uh, we were uh, at uh, one of those events. It was a picnic. And I knew it had been raining uh, the day before. And so we were parking in the grass, so I had some concerns (laughs) Because I'm like, I'm not trying to be out here, and it's time to go, and those wheels get to spinning. You ever, you ever had that fear? Like, I don't want to be that person. Or maybe seen a video or something like that where, where the more they just try to hit it and test the RPM, and those wheels just spinning, it's just digging deeper and deeper and deeper until you find yourself in a situation that you feel like you can't get out of. Well, whenever you see the word pit in Scripture, here's what it often is pointing to. It's pointing to destruction, it's pointing to a grave, it's pointing to a ditch, or it's pointing to a situation that you can't get out of. And and here's a question I have for us this morning. How many of us in here, we feel like we find ourselves in a pit right now? We feel like we find ourselves in a situation that we simply can't escape. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the pit of depression. Maybe it's the pit of anxiety. Maybe, Maybe it's the pit of pain. Maybe it's the pit of disappointment. Maybe it's the pit of guilt or, or, or shame or regret, whatever it is, a pit of doubt, you find yourself in a pit and feel like it's a situation that you can't escape, that you can't get out of. Now, whenever you find yourself, if you find yourself in that situation, talking about in your vehicle, you're trying to get out of, you know what you always need? You need help. You need people around you that can get you some help. Hey, you know, put someone under the tires and give you a little traction. Like you need some help, some insight. And family, 
That's what a community of believers is supposed to be. That's what church is supposed to be. That's what, and, and let me say this, like, it's not about going to church, but it's understanding we don't go to church, but we gather as the church. So what we do on Sunday mornings, we don't go to church, but we gather as the church. So we're out and about all week, but then we have this moment on Sunday where we gather together as the church united. But here's what I've discovered over the years is that oftentimes the church tells us to come as we are, but when we come looking and smelling like the pit, the church oftentimes doesn't know what to do with us. And can I say this, family, let that not be said of the becoming church. Let that not be the culture here. Let that not be the heart here. Let that not be what we display that we say, listen, you come in simply as you are. And if you smell like the pit, get next to me, and I'm going to smell like the pit with you. Because I've experienced the goodness of God, and he's transformed my life, and he's done something in my life. So how dare me forget the pit that I was in? How dare me forget what God has brought me out of? How dare, how, how in the world can I act like I haven't found myself in the rut? Like I haven't found myself in the pit? No, I didn't just wake up like this. God led me to a place like this. He's brought me on a journey of transformation. So how can I act like I wasn't you one day and now when you walk in here, I turn my nose up at you? No, we all come in here with our luggage, with our baggage, with our pain with our hurt, with our disappointment. I don't want someone to connect with the becoming church and then life, life, and they feel like they can't come here no more. No, no, no. We've all been in a pit at some point. We all may be in a pit right now, but this is a place where we can come together and find and discover that there are people who are willing to get down into the mess and say you can't stay there, that God has more for you, that he has purpose for your life, that if you have a pulse, you have a purpose, and I know it's dirty, and I know it's muddy, and I know it's stinking in here, but I'm going to get down in this mess with you because there's a call of God on your life, that the hand of God is on your life, and I'm going to get in this Pit with you until you begin to walk in the direction and the destiny that God has for your life. Do we have any people in here who are willing to get in the pit with others? Do we have anyone who's understood that God has brought them up out of the pit, that you didn't walk in here all clean, you ain't always been all good, it ain't always been all perfect, but there's been a God that has gotten in the pit with you? Come on, church. Are you thankful? That there were people who prayed for you, people who did not give up on you. When others discounted you, when others said, look at them, they lost, lost their way and they gave up on you. But there were some people who believed in you. You didn't even know who they are, the fact that they were praying for you, but they were. May we be the ones that say, I haven't seen no girl in a minute. Let me keep praying for her. I haven't seen no boy in a minute. Let me keep praying for him. And then here's the plot twist. Whether they connect here at the Becoming Church or somewhere else, the goal is that they're connected to a body of believers because it's not about building how big the Becoming Church could be, but it's about building the kingdom of heaven. So what can I do? How can I live to see people get out of the pit? Because we've all found our, have found ourselves in the pit before. And you don't climb out of a pit on your own, but you need others to help you get outside of the pit. So we can't turn our nose up at people, but say, I see me and you. In that same place you are, 
I was, but because somebody prayed for me, but because somebody believed in me, I got up out of that pit and I stand here today because of that. Come on, church, one more time. Can we give God some praise for that? Because part of belonging to a family of believers is knowing that you've got some people who will get in the pit of your mess, the pit of your mess, and pull you out. Because the only reason others can get in the pit, the reason I can get in the pit, the reason others can get in the pit is because Jesus first got in the pit with us. And look what Psalm 40, 1 through 3 says. It says this. If I can find here it is. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. Can I tell you, if you're on a journey today, you get, we can get so frustrated because we're like, God, why am I still dealing with the same old mess? Why am I still dealing with the same old stuff? And I'm not saying that we keep on dealing with it just for the point of dealing with it, but wait patiently for the Lord. Just hold on. Your help is on the way. Because look what it says. It says, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. So the Lord hears the cries of his people. We see it all throughout scripture. When he was beginning the journey of, of bringing his people out of bondage in Egypt and he called Moses to do it. What did he tell Moses when he called him? He says, I have heard the cries of my people. So because of that, I'm raising you up. And you know, that's what we're supposed to be. That's what the becoming, that's why the church is planted. Because the Lord heard the cries of people in the Huntsville, Madison area and says, there needs to be an expression like this that doesn't exist. So I'm going to raise these people up, bring that expression here. And for all the folks that's been praying for something like this, this is going to be an answer to a prayer. So the church is not to replace another church, to be better than another church, to complete, compete with another church. No, it's to be an answer to what God was needing here in this city. But it started with a cry. So he hears your cry. So don't think the Lord don't hear you in the midnight hour. Don't think the Lord doesn't hear you in those moments. Don't think that he doesn't hear you in the silence. Because here's what he does. It says, he lifted me out of the pit of despair. Out of the mud. Anybody ever been in the mud? Out of the mud and the mire. And then look what he goes on to do. It says, he set my feet on solid ground. And he stared at me as I walked along. Because some of us, we live life, we rocking, we shaking, we, we everywhere else but steady. But when the Lord lifts us up, when he pulls us up, he places us on solid ground, on a solid rock in which we can stand. Who is that? It's the rock of salvation. It is Jesus himself. That's why we have to pay attention to what are we building our lives on. Are we building our life on culture, on our opinion, on our personality, or are we building it on the word of God? Can I submit this to us today? We got to build it on the word of God, the word that is consistent, the word that doesn't change, the word that never fails, that it's his word that's been debated, that has been attacked for longer than any of us have been here and far longer than any of us will be here. But yet it's his word that stands today. So build your life on the rock so that he will steady you. And then look what it goes on to say. That he has given me a new song to sing. 
that God will put something new in your life. You say, how can God do something with this? How can God do something with the mess that I've been through? How can God do something with this pain? You know what? He will turn your pain into purpose. And so the thing that the enemy thought was going to bury you would be the same thing that the Lord said, this is your platform to point to me. This is your position to tell others of what you can, what I can do in their life when you live submitted to me. Then he goes on to say, many will see what he has done and be amazed. That's what a testimony is about. A testimony is for us, for us personally to understand what God can do and then for others to see what God has done and say, yo, if he has done that in their life, if he has brought them through that, then he can do it in my life. Ultimately, for this purpose, that they will put their trust in the Lord. So all of it comes back full circle, pointing to the Lord. So even as he pulls us up out of the pit, we're not pulled up out of the pit so we can talk about what we didn't got ourselves out of and how we didn't pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. You don't even wear boots. No. <laughs> it's the point, people, to the Lord to trust him. And he doesn't get in, Jesus doesn't get in the pit to shame us, but he gets in the pit to redeem us. It's, it's an exchange that takes place. That's why it goes on to say that in Psalm 103, 4 is another benefit that he places us, he gives us a crown. That he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. In other words, God will take you from a peasant in a pit to a son and daughter being crowned. It's this, it's this opportunity where we step back in and we say, listen, the enemy meant this for evil, but God has turned it around for my good. And people look back and they say, you don't even look like what you've been through. It's because God has placed a crown on your head. Now look at this. Next benefit is this satisfaction. Psalm 103, verse 5, it says, who satisfies you with good. Have you ever been to Olive Garden and uh, they bring out the salad or they bring out your dish and they come around with that Parmesan and they get to moving and they say, you know, it, uh, you know, it used to make me feel like, you know, this is fine dining. Like, you know, Matt, this is fine dining. Like, you know, like, that's enough. You know what I'm saying? You just felt, that's, maybe that's me. But you tell them when. You tell them when because you're like, yo, I'm good. I'm satisfied. I'm fulfilled. And family, that's what Jesus wants to bring us. He wants to bring, he wants to, bring us to a place where we, where we say, listen, I don't have that. I'm still believing for that. I'm still praying for that. This is missing and this is gone. But yo, I'm good. Isn't that a freeing place to be able to live from? Isn't, isn't that a place of, of just of, of, of what it means for shalom in the Lord, of nothing missing and nothing, nothing broken? It's, it's this mindset that says following Jesus means having, having the reality that all I have is all I need. Ah, I ain't got the bands. I ain't got the bands. I'm going to get in the hoop and we're going to get there anyway. It's just this reality that I'm good, that he's brought satisfaction to my life and as I say that, about God wanting to satisfy us with good, a basic, first a basic foundational question that every Christian, every follower of Jesus must answer is this, is God good? 
Because if we can't say yes to God is good, then how can we think or believe that he wants to satisfy us with what is good? Because I think sometimes we think, well, if God is good, then all aspects of life should be good. But that's, that's not how it works because I'm Unfortunately, because of the fall of man in the garden, we live in a sin-filled world until the day where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And a new heaven and a new earth is, is, is here. Heaven, heaven is, is here, right here, this place where we're at. It'll be redeemed. But until then, there will be things that are not good. But because there are things that are not good, does not mean that God is not good. Are you tracking with me today? That even now we can experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, as Psalm 27 tells us. But look at what James 1.7 says. James 1.7, it reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So, family, we must first, before we can, can, I guess, walk in the benefit of understanding that God wants to bring us to a place of satisfaction that is good, we have to first believe that God and know that God is good. And as I close today and land this plane, here's the final benefit I want to discuss this morning. And it's this, that your benefits include renewal. Your benefits include renewal. Psalms, Psalm 103 verse 5, it says this, it goes on to say, so that, so here's what all of what God is doing is, is leading, leading to. Is so that, so he wants to satisfy you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And here's the thing about eagles. If you know a little bit about eagles, my kids do. They watch Crap Brothers and they know everything. But eagles, they go through a, a molting process where uh, they shed their old feathers and they gain new feathers, which allows them to soar with new energy. And so, in other words, they get rid of the old and, and the new feathers that come in. It allows them to soar higher with new energy. And here's some interesting things about eagles. Is that eagles actually don't even have to use the same amount of energy uh, as other birds. Like, have you ever seen whatever, you know, any kind of other bird outside of an eagle? They flap their wings. They use so much energy. They work so hard to get to the to the same height or not quite as high because eagles fly high but just to even get to where they are they take a lot of energy they use up a lot of energy whereas eagles don't and eagles they can reach up to 20,000 feet in altitude but use very little energy in doing so they're able to take long strides to cover much ground and then they repeat that until they just keep soaring on up to the next level. Here's the point that I'm getting at. It wasn't to take you through a class about eagles, but it was to get to this point. Is that it's God's desire for us to soar without striving. See, everything about culture in the world, it tells us to strive. It tells us to live in such a way we got to push, we got to make it happen. We got we to gotta grind, team no sleep, no older I get, I'm like, I need more sleep. But that's not how God operates. He doesn't want us to strive. Striving is all of this effort. I think striving even points to working outside of God's time that he has for our lives and what he's calling us to. Even in Matthew 4, where it says, where the Spirit led Jesus, meaning this, we're not, we're not called to live a life of striving, 
but we're called to live a life of being led by his spirit. And when we're led by his spirit, it's never, it's not going to include striving. Now, that doesn't mean hard work because work existed before the fall. I think sometimes we think, well, because sin happened, that's why I got to work. No, he was work, they were working the ground before sin. So this is not saying, well, I'm not supposed to work hard. No, it just means that we are not supposed to strive. We're not supposed to move any way outside of what the Lord has called us to. So then you say, well, then how do we soar without striving? Here's how Isaiah 40, 31 tells us when it says, but they who wait for the Lord. If you want to live a life of soaring and not striving, soaring without striving, we've got to wait on the Lord. Because here's what he does. Those who wait on the Lord, who wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. So renewal begins with waiting. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. I don't know about you, but when I'm running, I'm weary. They shall walk and not faint. Family, this sounds like soaring without striving. We all have to look and examine what that means. And my prayer for my life and my prayer for this church, even before the church was planted, when, when Katie and I were in the team of folks, 10, 8, I don't know how many it was, our kids around the kitchen table, was like, yes, Lord, we say yes to this. My prayer from the beginning and still today and forever is that, Lord, I don't want to get ahead of you. I don't want to get behind you. I want to walk in pace with you. That I want to be stride, I want to be in stride with you. That I want my steps to mimic your steps. I think that's how we got to live life. Don't go ahead, don't rush it. So they over there, cool, let them be over there. Maybe that's where God has them to be, but that's not where he has you. But then we'll do this thing of striving to get there. Then we get there and we can't handle it because it's outside of God's timing. And then it begins to affect all kind of other areas of our lives. But we got to say, Lord, I want to walk and stride and pace with you so that we can live a life of soaring without striving. You know, the Old Testament, it, it introduces us to what is called the theology of remembering. And the theology of remembering points to how a person uh, will have an encounter with God. And out of that encounter, they will build an altar of remembrance. And Joshua 4 is one example where we see this, where they took the 12 stones, one representing uh, each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they built an altar of remembrance as a memorial reminding them of how God brought them out of the wilderness across the Jordan to possessing the promise. Here's what I'm saying is that we can look back over our life, family, over our lives, and we can remember God's faithfulness towards us. And if you have a hard time of saying, I have a hard time of, of seeing God's faithfulness, family, the fact that you're here and alive today and you still have an opportunity to pursue God's will for your life is a picture of his faithfulness. When you've gotten yourself, when you found yourself out of situations that you were in, it wasn't because you were so smart and so witty and because the universe lined up. No, it was the hand of God on your life when you didn't even know it. So in other words, you can look back as well and you can see the faithfulness of God towards you. And he wants you to remember that. 
that we get to look back and we get to say, we get to see the moment. That was the moment where he healed me. That was the moment where he freed me. That was the moment where he delivered me from that addiction. That was the moment where my marriage was restored, where he brought us back. When we began to live out the covenant, the vows that we exchanged. That's when my kids came back home. That's when he turned my pain into purpose. Remembering is important because there's a lot that happens in the middle from that point into the point that we get to look back. And when David opened up this song, he opened it in verse 1 where he says, bless the Lord. We can put that on, there it is, where he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So he opens it up saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. But look at how he closes it out in verse 22. At the very end right there, what does he say? Bless the Lord, O my soul. In other words, David is saying, from this point, from that point to this point, and everything in between, we need to live from a place of saying, Lord, that I'm talking to my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions, and I'm expressing my gratitude and my thankfulness towards you. Has it all been perfect? Has it all been right? Has it all been well? No, but I can look back and I can remember how you still brought me out of that even though I had questions over there. I can still see how you did that even though that thing wasn't right. I can still see how you moved that out of the way and you still brought that in my life. And because of that, I can still stand here and I can book in these moments with expressing gratitude and thankfulness towards you. Would you pray with me this morning?